Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. TVP's announcements. This is a series that we have on our network where we give you announcements about upcoming projects and platforms that are entering the crypto ecosystem. Now, this is a disclaimer because we do that now. So, here's the thing this is the presentation of a platform, and that's it. This is an investment advice. Don't take it as investment advice. If you like the platform, seek it out in the show notes. Go there, buy the things, invest in the platform. Help them out with your skill sets. But we're not giving you any recommendations or advice. This is just for you to listen to and soak up some new information about a new platform in this ecosystem. So, please enjoy. Hey, everybody. If you heard that specific uh, sound from the absurdist, you know, it is time for TVP's announcements. And uh, we're going to jump right into the announcement. And uh, Tom Anderson, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Good deal. So, so everyone, Tom Anderson is the CEO and founder of Devio. And uh, we're going to get we're going to dig into Devio and the problems it's looking to solve and, and what it's looking to offer the, the crypto community. But first, we need to get to know you, Tom. So what we like to do is try to understand your background and uh, you can go as deep into your background as you like. Um, but we also like to know when you fell down that cryptocurrency rabbit hole or maybe it's the blockchain rabbit hole these days, um, <laughs> however it goes. But. Uh, there, there had to be a moment when you knew. All right, I need to be kid, be be committing to to this industry, to this ecosystem. So, let let us let us have it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, just a little bit on my background. I think kind of leads into that that story. So I'm an experienced entrepreneur. Uh, my first company was a robotics company, and we added the sense of touch into computers. So uh, I'm more coming out of the tech space than the crypto space originally. Um, you know, for for most of my career. Uh, so in my first company, Novant, we uh, we raised uh, over 34 million dollars. I took the company public. Um, we uh, took the robotic hardware that we were using from you know tens of thousands tens of thousands of dollars down to a consumer level price point so we manufactured them uh, overseas for $100 FOB US and then uh, um, got into consumer markets after we got the price point down and the the technology we used was a, a really neat technology it added the sense of touch into computing to a level that a surgeon could feel a real life medical procedure as if they were performing it in real life um, and so as we got the price down to a consumer level price point, you know, I got into the gaming industry, um, licensed on the order of, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars um, of, of 
about video games. Uh, we got you know, many of the biggest AAA you know franchises of, of all time um, that we sold with our hardware. Uh, we got you know national distribution on our products, and uh, to make a long story short, in the end, we we sold our IP to Facebook. So that was my my first company, and then um, Devio is is my second big effort. And so uh, Devio itself started with um, some intellectual property that you know some patents that that we thought had some some great value. Um, but the, the the challenge is if you have all of your value in intellectual property, you you can find yourself in a situation where a judge gives you a bad you know ruling, for example, and, and potentially invalidates the patent. So we had a lot of eggs in, in one basket. So, so we thought, well, why don't, why don't we leverage that IP um, in another area so that we create you know, value in the company before a judge ever sees it and kind of take a, a belt suspenders approach. And so that's, that's where I first started looking at, you know, at the uh, cryptocurrency space. And, and I've been interested in digital uh, currencies you know, most of my career. Um, you know, coming out of the game space, that's where most of the original digital currencies came from. Uh, you know, originally EverQuest Gold back in the day and then World of Warcraft Gold. Um, I, I had a, a website in mid-2000 that had a digital currency. And then I started following Bitcoin at you know, an intellectual level probably about 2011-ish since, since I was interested in, uh, in uh, digital currencies. Um, but then you know, more recently, then, you know, a year and a half ago, started looking at really building the business around it, read through the, the Bitcoin white paper, um, was just completely blown away. It's, it's, it's a brilliant concept, a brilliant implementation. Um, you know, the cypherpunk in me loves what, what Bitcoin has done. But overall, when, when I started really looking at the space, I saw there were a lot of challenges. And so where, where Bitcoin and Ethereum have kind of led the way and shown us what's possible, you know, I, I didn't feel there was a platform out there that really was solid enough to really build a business on. And so kind of took a practical approach and said, you know, we need to address a lot of the problems in the crypto space. Um, you know, scalability is one of the big ones. Um, privacy issues. Uh, how do you actually have privacy in, in blockchain in a way that also is uh, works within government regulation? Um, one of the big ones is fraud, theft and loss. Um, coming from the tech space, it, it kind of blows me away coming in and looking at you know, the, the cryptocurrency space and seeing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of cryptocurrency are stolen. They're gone in the blink of an eye. There's no recourse. And everybody just kind of shrugs and says, you know, that's just the way it is. Right. So, so we wanted to address that problem. Uh, stability is a big one. Cost is another one. So so we looked at all the problems in the cryptocurrency space and, you know, we designed a, uh, a protocol you know, that addressed all of those issues so that we could have a solid foundation, you know, from which, you know, we could build the, the business. So that's kind of the, the beginnings of, of how we got started and, and why we designed our own protocol. Nice. So with your background in robotics, do you foresee the incoming automation onslaught that is going to hit civilization? Is it going to be, is everybody going to be okay? <laughs> I do think so. Um, I, I'm more of an optimist in, in general. So um, when, when you look back at, at history and you look at all of kind of the various, you know, significant changes like the Industrial Revolution, for example, um, there were a lot of people that thought that it would remove jobs. But I think uh, for me, in, in my view, e even with AI and robotics, I, I think, you know, as many jobs are, are created as lost. And, and one other perspective, if you take a step back and you look at, um, you know, looking towards the future and, and you say, what if what if there's a future where, you know, food can be created with almost no cost, housing can be created with almost no cost, um, you know, and, and, and humanity has to shift 
towards a, a, a place where you have all of your, your basic essentials and necessities um, made at, at fractions of the cost of what they are now. You know, it is it is kind of a scary transition in a lot of ways, but I, I think it's going to be you know, really positive towards towards humanity. So that's a good point. We're going to need people to, to make all of the smart roads and all yeah. of the uh, significantly advanced uh, technologies that we'll need, hopefully, if we get there. So, yeah, I think blockchain is a big part of it, too. I, I personally think blockchain is going to be as significant to the world as the Internet has uh, has been. Blockchain in general, um, you know, really fundamentally is trustless computing. Um, you know, it's 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 letting, um, you know, databases and records and, and computations be done in a way where you, you don't need central authorities to oversee records. And I, I think it's kind of like where the Internet was in you know the mid 90s. It's um, it, it's it's hard right now to see all of the changes that that type of infrastructure and philosophy really is, you know, the impact it's going to have. Um, but, you know, again, I think it's going to be as big as, as the Internet towards changing, you know, the way, you know, in general, the world works. That's what that's what we're all hoping. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been on that hype train since about 2012 myself, late 2011, early 2012. Nice. Um, or sorry, late 2012, early 2013. Yes, yeah, so you got and, in early. <laughs> uh, oh, quote unquote early. I still think it's very early, but. You know, I've also been doing this for a while. So um, let's let's get into some of the specificity around the problems that Devio is looking to solve. I, I looked at the white paper a little bit before the interview uh, and, and they highlighted, you know, blockchain has some big issues that a lot of people are working on governance, scalability, volatility, cost, fees. Uh, fees became a huge problem, almost so bad that it was laughable at the end of 2017. Yeah, um, right. So, so how is Devio looking to solve some of those problems? I mean, those are those are big problems. Yeah, yeah. I think from kind of the beginning, we took a little bit of a different philosophy in in how we were growing our blockchain, and some of the the big assumptions that I think you know the majority of other projects have taken, um, you know, aren't necessarily assumptions you have to make. I think I think if you want to um, kind of fulfill the original vision of Bitcoin. You know, you, you want to have a, a situation where any two parties can independently interact. They can independently audit a transaction without having to go through a central authority. Um, you know, you, you want, therefore, a blockchain to be uh, immutable. Um, you want to be public and, and visible. So, you know, the protections that, that you get with an immutable and, and, and public database um, really, I think, are the important parts. So if you keep your eye on the ball and you really focus on, on what you need, um, and then, then you get rid of some of the other assumptions that you don't need. Um, you know, for example, you can figure out a solution for fraud, theft, and loss even on an immutable blockchain. Um, you can figure out a privacy solution that works also within government regulation. And so, so you know, we, we kind of started with this general you know shift in in, in thinking, I guess I would say, um, developed our own consensus algorithm that we call proof of validation. And with that, we uh, um, you know created a uh, a sharding algorithm. Debbie has solved the, the sharding problem, which is a big you know area of research in, in blockchain, um, and it's a really you know clever solution that we came up with. Um, so we solved you know the scalability problem. We can uh, scale our blockchain really as, as big as will ever be needed. Um, our benchmarking right now is over eight million transactions per second. So we have the fastest blockchain in, in the world. Um, 
fraud theft loss and privacy like I described. We've also got a, a really good stability solution um, that that's a, a stable coin like a lot of other stable coins, but we've implemented some concepts in it that make it easier to build a business around. Again, kind of taking a, a more practical business approach. And then, uh, um, you know, we also worked on creating a very efficient system. So our, our costs, which is the single, you know, biggest driver for enterprise use and, and the thing keeping it from really becoming blockchain from really becoming what, what people want it to become. Um, you know, on average, I would say our, our transactions will be about one one hundred thousandth the cost of, of Ethereum transactions. Uh, so when, when you take all of those concepts and you put them together in a single solution, that to me is where blockchain really can become, you know, what, what everybody wants it to become. Um, lots of other projects have addressed one of those problems, but you know the, the the competition isn't other blockchain companies. The competition is kind of the status quo, and and blockchain again gives you know uh, the ability for trustless computing, which is is going to be huge. But for it to be practical, you have to work within you know constraints of what people are used to, to working within. So you have to solve all of those problems in a single solution, which is you know what we what we did. Hmm. So. Um... Tell me a little bit more about the consensus algorithm to people that might not be familiar. I think the, the leading two that kind of hog the stage are, are proof of work and proof of stake. Uh, right. But yours is very, very new. And you say it's, 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 it can, um, resolve consensus to 8 million transactions per second. Is that what you said? Right. Yeah. Mainly from our, our sharding solution. Um, so I can describe that a little bit more too. But the, the consensus algorithm itself really is pretty straightforward. It, it's, you, you, we have validators, which are kind of the equivalent of miners in, in proof of work in Bitcoin. And so, so our validators, um, basically take turns proposing new blocks. And once a validator proposes a block, then all the other validators say, yeah, that looks like a good block. Um, and, and they send notes, messages to the, to the proposer. And then, uh, um, if he gets above 51% of acceptance from everybody else within, within the network. So in our case, within a specific shard, um, then, then they go, okay, it's been approved. They add that block. And then the next person adds a block. Um, and so you, you continue adding blocks like that, you know, by, each of the nodes validating all of the proposals. And so, so it ends up, you know, being a, a solution that's Byzantine fault tolerant, you know, if you're kind of looking into the crypto terminology, um, up to 51%, you know, same, mm -hmm. same, similar in, in nature to Bitcoin. Is it, uh, how many, how many validators are there? How many, how many nodes are there? So any given shard, we expect there's probably going to be two to three dozen. Um, and so the benchmarking we did that was um, 8 million transactions per second, um, that represents uh, over 1,000 shards. So that represents 20 to 30,000, you know, on that order, um, nodes. And so, so we, we scale, you know, um, we, 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 the, more, the more nodes that we have, the more validators that we have, the, the bigger we scale. And anytime you start to reach, you know, thresholds where, you know, it's, it's starting to um, you know, gum up, you know, it's starting to reach a point where you, you, you can't scale within a shard, then we just create a new shard. So each, each of our shards themselves is an independent blockchain. Um, so why don't I describe a little bit, you know, how the, the sharding works. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, the general idea is, you know, 
one independent blockchain can perform X number of transactions per second. So in our case, it's about 3,500 right now. And we could do other optimizations to, to drive that up. But um, right now, it's kind of on that, that order. And so then if you want to do more transactions, you just create a new shard. It's a new independent blockchain. And you can scale horizontally like that as big as you, you need, really. And so that's kind of intuitively true, right? If you have mm -hmm. 3,500 transactions per second, and then you do a thousand shards, that's 3.5 million transactions per second, right? Um, but then, then the challenge is, um, well, how do the shards talk to each other? And so, so that's, I, I think, kind of our, our secret sauce, what, what we did that I thought was, was clever. And so what we did is, is two things. We, we have what we call our wallet designation. So every wallet is associated with one and only one shard. And so every wallet, you know, is has its its assigned shard, and then and then we separate payment and settlement. And so if I send you five dev, then my network, which we call a T2 network, so my shard, my T2 network, um, uh, approves and validates that transaction. The, that block then turns into an input into what we call our T1 network. And the T1 network, there's only one T1 network, and and the point of the T1 network is to coordinate between the different shards so so it, it handles the settlement so all the different blocks as they add their blocks those become inputs into the t1 the t1 kind of reorganizes it into uh, its blocks using proof of validation same thing and as each block is added then all the other t2 shards read those blocks and then that's how the settlement happens so your um, t2 shard would see a block pop up with an uh, incoming amount to you and would add that to its its blockchain and so so in general we, we separate payment and settlement. We've got this wallet designation. And the end result is that each of the shards can, you know, independently process all of its transactions, but we can also efficiently have cross-shard transactions. And so by having one network that handles the cross-shard transactions, we can scale the entire blockchain, you know, which is all the shards, as big as we need. Interesting. So with, with all the scalability... Um in lies uh, there could there could be like security concerns I'm, I'm assuming um when you have so many transactions going and i noticed something in particular uh on in your white paper about um chargebacks so if it is immutable how could you set up a system to where you can have chargebacks or did i misread that yeah so a, a chargeback um technically isn't um a, uh, a reversal of a transaction. So, so we have a, a concept in our um, overall system that handles fraud, theft, and loss. And, and again, coming in from the tech space, I was kind of blown away that nobody else has really addressed this, this issue. So, so one thing to be sure, our fraud, theft, and loss solution um, is completely optional. Nobody has to, to use it if they don't want. And so I, I think the majority of people are going to want to have the protections that they're used to, right? If you mm -hmm. if you buy something online and it doesn't come, you know, everybody kind of expects there's there's recourse for it. Or, you know, the idea that you could put a wrong number in and your 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 money just you know, disappears in, into the, you know, into the nether space, into the wild, you know, um, that is a scary concept. And the idea that somebody can hack your system, steal your private key, and then transfer money out, um, 
you know, is a, is a scary concept too. It's kind of nerve wracking in general working with cryptocurrencies, um, you know, because everything's immutable and then once a transaction's done, you know, there's there's no way to, to change it back. So, so the way that we handle that is basically with an escrow system. And so what we do is we say, if you want, and again, it's optional, if you want to protect one of your wallets, um, one of your accounts with, um, you know, a, a dev protect concept that we have, if, if you want to protect your wallet, then you can set it up where any amounts leaving your that specific wallet get held in escrow in the recipient's wallet um, for a certain amount of time. And so you can set different amounts of time for different wallets. For example, you might have it where, you know, you have a percentage of your holdings, maybe half, you know, are, are locked up for a three-month period. Um, and then and then you have uh, a, another wallet where things are locked up for a week. And then you have another wallet where there's, you know, no lockup, a small float that you can, you can use. And so let's say somebody steals your, your private key in a wallet that's protected, and then they transfer dev or you know a, a stable coin concept or even like a a, a representation of bitcoin or, or whatever if somebody steals it and sends it into their wallet well by definition because it was marked as being protected it would, goes to that recipient's wallet and it's held in escrow and that person can't transfer it um you know for a, a set amount of time and so then um if you discover the 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 theft while it's in escrow, then you can go back to Devio, and Devio can create a reverse transaction that that changes that that moves the money in escrow back into your account. And so, um, so again, it's it's all optional, but it it gives a, a mechanism where um, you know people can can protect their funds through you know it's kind of an internal escrow mechanism. Mm. And what about the governance of the the um, discrepancy? Because you know there was a whole fraud ring of people that would do chargebacks on Amazon, like saying that they didn't get what they actually did receive. And then, you know, you have well-to-do merchants that out of the blue, you know, they look in their bank account and money's just been taken out because it was charged back. So what resolves that and prevents that fraud? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, um, one thing in general is you, you run into kind of those natural systems. So again, it's an optional system that let people kind of work within the way, ways that they're used to, which I think is is a requirement to to move you know blockchain and cryptocurrencies in, into mainstream. So you're you're, you're making a, a good point, and that's one of the areas you have to address. address. Um, but you know we'll address it in, in similar ways to how others have, have done it. So if you have fraud protection, for example. You'll you'll have um, trusted vendors that you know have to sign up to to maintain that fraud protection. Um, you know, theft, for example, um, you have to prove who you are. And then if if there's a chargeback, basically if there's a reversal of that transaction, um, you know, because you you claimed that there was a, a theft, then you know Devia will have a dispute resolution system to to go through and, and figure that out. So 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 it's a lot of the same issues that anybody in that space, even in current, you know, financial uh, systems, you know, need, need to deal with, but it, it puts a practical way to have those systems implemented within, within a blockchain context. Understandable. So what about, um, like, uh, I guess they call it blockchain agnostic. What if, can, can you use different kind of cryptos on the, on the dev blockchain or do you have to use uh, dev token or, or dev coin to, to uh, leverage all of these benefits? 
Um, so one of the things that we want to do is have a, a stable coin concept. And this is one of the areas that I'm personally most excited about. Um, and so the idea is somebody gives us $100 and then we give them 100 dev dollars. And then somebody gives us 100 euros and then we give them 100 dev euros. And you put the $100 into escrow, you have it um, audited and transparent from the beginning, which is, I, I think, important. And then, uh, and then, then what you have is a, a one-to-one, you know, fiat-backed representation of currency. So you have a, a, a blockchain representation of, of real money, of real dollars. And so there's a lot of regulation, you know, in, in becoming a, a licensed money transmitter, you know, things like that 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 we'll we'll have to um, go through the the processes on. But in in general, the the concept of having um, a representation of, of you know, fiat money, um, you know, that, that we're all used to using, where it can be transferred around the world instantly without fees, um, is just a really powerful concept. And and the thing that, that blockchain does that, again, I think a lot of people maybe don't really fully understand, you know, when you, when you take a step back from the hype, um, it, it's really implementing trustless computing. It's implementing, um, you know, control of assets not not you know overseen by a central authority and so so a lot of the the, the problems in, in financial transactions come from different central authorities trying to work with each other and over time have kind of cobbled together you know ways to make it work but you know it's really inefficient in, in the scheme of things um, and it's also controlled by kind of you know frankly greedy um, you know <laughs> uh, situations where they you know they have the power to be able to demand, I think a lot of times unreasonable fees. Um, you know, the average uh, cost for remittance for for you know cross border remittance is on the order of seven and a half percent. And you know, I kind of find that a little offensive, honestly. Like the idea of um, a worker from the Philippines working, you know, in a, in a foreign country and then sending money back to their family and having to spend seven and a half percent for the privilege of sending their money to their family, you know, just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And, you know, blockchain represents an opportunity to, to fix those inefficiencies. Um, so to answer your question, then, you know, our, our blockchain has, you know, the potential to represent any type of, of asset. And, and this is what I would, you know, kind of at the beginning of the conversation, what, what I'm excited about is, is blockchain can represent not just, you know, cryptocurrencies. It can represent digital representations of existing currencies. You could have, you know, dev dollars and dev euros, like I said, but you could also have dev gold. Um, you could also have dev Bitcoin. Like people can send Bitcoin to us. We could put the majority of it into cold storage off chain, you know, air wall separated with, with the exception of a small float. But then people have a representation of their Bitcoin that can be, again, transferred around the world instantly without fees. Um, and then you could ultimately have, you know, dev oil, dev corn, you know, any kind of any kind of asset. Um, and you could represent um, digital representations of physical objects is another kind of then expansion of it. And ultimately, you can represent human endeavor. So, you know, it's kind of coming full circle to what we were first talking about, kind of the, the longer term future of humanity that's where i see bit you know uh, blockchain fitting in is is ultimately having a, a trustless representation of of any kind of asset and any kind of, of, of human endeavor and human interaction it's it's very interesting that you um that you bring up like the what i see is an inevitable future where you're not only abstracting um new currency uh, new value but you know, a dev Bitcoin or or some sort of abstraction and from, from Bitcoin 
you know, that allows for maybe either hyper liquidization or, or, or a scenario where, uh, people can feel more comfortable using Bitcoin instead yeah. of just, just, just holding it. Um, yep. you know, that, that tipping point has to be reached at some point. Yeah. You know, and, so. the, and the thing that's exciting about our approach is like in that sense, we're almost like a side chain, you know, if, if you followed kind of, you know, how the crypto is currency space. So we would be a side chain for Bitcoin. Um, in, in that sense, our, our, our scaling algorithm itself isn't a side chain. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, um, when we're doing, you know, the concept of like a dev Bitcoin, it's, it's kind of similar in spirit to that. And so once, once you have a representation on our blockchain, of, of other assets like Bitcoin, then then you can opt in for the fraud that loss protection. So you could have your Bitcoin, you know, protected, um, but still transferable, right? Like, like it's kind of silly what people have have done. You know, there's old military bunkers that have been converted into Bitcoin storage vaults, and the idea of that to me is just kind of absurd, really. The idea of of taking you know hard, hard wallets and putting them in an old military bunker, um, you know, it's like some, something's like not something's amiss, you know, if, if you're doing that. Um, <laughs> and so the, the idea of um, having it where you can transfer it, but you still have protections. I, again, I think those types of things are needed for, for uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies to really become what, what people want them to become. Similar with privacy. You know, privacy is a, a critical aspect of financial uh, transactions and, and enterprise use and, and things like that. On the flip side, you know, a lot of the approaches for privacy currently um, are, are fully, uh, um, you know, private. And, and there's, a, there's a problem with that, too. Um, like zero-knowledge proof-based approaches, like if you start reading about zero-knowledge proofs and how they work, it's an amazing concept. Like it's almost hard to get your mind around it when, when I, it was for me when I first started reading and understanding how they work. Um, so so zero-knowledge proof approaches uh, like ZK Snarks have – you know, um, true privacy, and they're brilliant mathematically. I mean, they're, they're, it's a really impressive concept. But the problem is, is when you have true privacy, then, um, you know, y- you're setting yourself up where people can use it for money laundering, for illegal transactions, for terrorism. And, and at the end of the day, governments aren't going to accept that. And, and governments realistically, I think it's naive to think otherwise, realistically can put significant headwinds on any approach that they're, they're not going to approve. And, and that's, I think, going to happen more and more over time as the market solidifies. Um, regulation is going to be a big part of who, who succeeds in the space and, and not. So our privacy approach, I would say, is true privacy. We have a, a nice implementation where we really do provide privacy for, for users. Um, but, it has the ability to have court-ordered transparency. And to me, that's the only type of privacy that, that really is going to be able to thrive in the future. And so so just bring it all around then, you know, if, if you put like a representation of, of Bitcoin, for example, then you get the privacy that's going to work within government regulation. You get the fraud theft loss protection. You get the scalability. So transaction fees are, um, you know, zero to, to maybe a, a minimal amount, you know, just to, to prevent spamming, that kind of thing. Um, but you get all the features of our, our our blockchain. So I think, I think it's a really compelling concept to start bringing other assets onto our blockchain. Definitely. And it's, it's all opt-in too as well, right? It's, it's kind of similar to uh, how Zcash has the opt-in on the, their privacy. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay. Yep. And so, so if anybody wants to use the fraud theft loss and privacy, they can, if they don't, and you want to kind of stick to pseudonymous wallets, um, then you can, you can do that as well. So, mm-hmm. 
the um the privacy mechanism is it anywhere similar to Monero or Zcash or is that a little bit of the secret sauce you can't give away I know no 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 I can I can give it away it's it's pretty um, straightforward um, so so it's kind of like a Bitcoin Tumblr type of concept and so if you want to send a private transaction then you can send the transaction to Devio and again it's optional right um, you send the transaction to Devio and then send an off-chain encrypted message and then Devio will um, obfuscate the transaction so, so basically send it to the recipient in different amounts over different time periods where you can't um, reverse engineer who has what what wallets um, and and if you do that to a, a reasonable level um, and, and you kind of mathematically make that secure um, you you can provide you know true privacy to a point that is, is just impractical to ever be able to, to reverse engineer it, especially as you get enough volume of those types of transactions um, and then you know if the government comes to us and says um, we want to. We think this, you know, this person is using these funds for, um, you know, illegal purposes. We want to see their their account. You know, our our first reaction is probably going to be, sorry, we can't give you that information unless you have a court order. And then then they come back with a court order and they say you have to give us this information now. And we say, okay, you have a court order. Here's the information. So we we maintain the information ourselves, um, but. Um, you know, but we can we can provide it under under a court order. So so then the next question is, well, aren't you a central authority in that in that case? And and in this situation, you know, in some sense, yes. Um, but again, it's an optional service. So for those that want to have privacy, again, in in the way that I think is the only way that's ultimately going to thrive. Um, you know, everything in blockchain is is trade offs, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so. Um, so, so that's that's a trade-off I think people need to make. If you want privacy, you can have privacy, but the solution that ultimately is going to be able to be successful is going to have to work within government regulation. But then on the flip side, if you don't want to use our our privacy solution, um, you know, then then you don't have to. Um, and, and then you know, there's other zero knowledge proofs that will you know zero knowledge proof based approaches that that I expect will integrate over time as well. Um, so, so we can we can implement any of those in our in our system too. It'd be interesting if someone used Dev Monero. Could that be? A, <laughs> could that? <laughs> what yeah, would it be? Like? I, I haven't thought of Dev Monero yet. Yeah, <laughs> That'd be tough, probably technically tough. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the the user interface um, with 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 Devio. Um, you know, what's the user story? Uh, is it do they can they go to an online portal? Um, where they download a wallet and then they have, you know, a dev wallet and they can have access to all these services and, you know, all these opt-in, um, mechanisms or how, how does, how's the user story go? Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that. Cause again, that's, uh, again, from the tech, it's coming from the tech industry and coming into it, that is maybe the single biggest area that feels missing in, in the blockchain space, um, is just a good user experience. Um, you know, and so, so, so you have to solve all of the, the problems that I described to have a, a, a blockchain be able to be used by enterprise, but, you know, and, and, and institutional use and mass market use in general. But on the flip side, you have to also have, again, if you're competing with the status quo, you have to have a user experience that's going to work with people. Um, otherwise, it's not going to be adopted. So it's a really important concept. And so we, we focused on that, you know, from the beginning as well. So I think, you know, we'll have kind of the raw tools, command line stuff. Um, we're going to have everything in our our, uh, um, our 
our blockchain is open source and we're going to have the source code available. We're going to have the blockchain is publicly available, um, you know, and, and, and you'll be able to create a, a more kind of traditional wallet where you download larger amounts, you know, the, the history for a particular shard to be able to interact in that shard, you know, th those types of things. Um, but the majority of people, I think, are going to have a, a, a much different experience than kind of the, the techies have had up to this point. And so, so the majority of people can just download an application and then the application ties into um, a, a database that we maintain that, that represents the, the blockchain. So we have what we call our immediate node network, the in. Um, you know, we describe that in our, our uh, papers. So we have a, a white paper that is the summary, and then we have a, a blue paper and a green paper. The green paper is the technical overview. The, the blue paper is kind of the business integration overview. Um, we're going to also have a red paper, which talks about our smart contract, um, you know, implementation, but we don't have that, that ready yet. So red, green, and blue, you know, those from the graphics industry, that, that equals white. Um, and so, so uh, people will be able to um, get... Uh, uh, download an application, and and then the in the immediate node network. Um, what I was saying, the in will um, maintain a, a more traditional database, although it's going to be t decentralized as well. Um, and and it'll um, uh, the way it gets updated will be de decentralized. And the in will um, maintain that database, and then the application just ties into it. And so you'll have just kind of a almost like uh, you know some of the other apps that have come out like like Venmo or the Cash App for example you just have a nice easy to use interface where you can easily send assets to other people you you'll be able to easily see what kind of assets you have you'll be able to say I want this wallet to be protected I want to set this timing on it you know it's all just going to be a really kind of slick easy to use interface so it, the interface like I said is a is a great question that's a really important part of what us and everybody else in the crypto space needs to needs to do it is. It's it's a very important question. I think that the crypto space is filled with such highly technical individuals. They don't realize um, just how important the user experience is. I mean, it defines um, it defines these certain epochs that we have on the internet now, like the feed. That you know, Facebook kind of bit from Twitter on that, but it's now an integral part of how you want to have some sort of mass communications or, you know, the user experience also defined how people interact with just basic websites like logging in and, and things of that nature. Uh, yeah. So it, it's really important. I, I think we're slowly edging towards, um, you know, pushing towards a, a point where the whole ecosystem has better user experiences overall. Um, but we, we still got a little, little ways to go so yeah 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 it's it's absolutely critical again if blockchain is ultimately going to become what we all want it to become and, and what it will become um in order for that to happen you have to you have to let people work in the ways that they're already comfortable you have to have fraud theft loss protection you have to have privacy nobody wants their bank account you know shown to the world um but yeah you have to have a good user experience too so it, it's all is hand in hand with kind of the same vision those are all check boxes you have to check off um, you know, to really, to really create a solution. Absolutely. So, uh, what I'd like to know is, is, is how vibrant is your community? And if anyone listening to this would like to get involved with, with the project, how do they reach out to you? Yeah. So, um, our, our community is great. Um, one 
point of reference in, in my last company, my robotics company that I described, um, community was very important to me. And so I interacted daily, um, you know, with people. And at any point, anybody in our community could reach out and directly ask me a question. And I would always answer. And so we had a, a really robust message board and I spent a lot of time on it. Um, made a lot of friends that even, you know, a decade later, I still consider friends, um, you know, from those kind of early community days. And so it's it's an area that I think both is very important and it's something I enjoy. Um, and, and I think especially in a place like the crypto space, community is huge. And so um, so community is right now and always will be a very critical core component of of you know, Devio's growth. Um, so we have uh, a Telegram channel, like everybody in the crypto space. And so you can always hop on and, you know, it's it's a very respectful, just great place to ask questions. I, I love how it's kind of moderated and the tone that it's it's been building over time. Um, and you can always reach me on, on our, our Telegram channel. Um, and then uh, um, we're going to be building more community portals. Um, like I said, I had a a website in the mid 2000s that had a digital currency and a lot of it was built around kind of creating a new community. And so I'm going to implement, you know, something similar to that um, to, to further grow our, our community and, and even kind of the, the initial kind of uh, um, just, just interactions with just uh, interactions across the board, you know, the, the community has been, been important. So there you go, everyone. Telegram. It is telegram seems to be uh the the hub spot for for most crypto companies nowadays yeah moved away from slack so our uh, our website is um dev io d-e-v-v uh dot io so uh so if you go to devio d-e-v-v dot io um then then there's a community links and you can see our our telegram uh link there you do so what's what what what's exciting in the future of of devio what are you working on in the roadmap that you're most excited about being close to being finished or um, is there anything you see for the next three to five years of Devio that you could see being a game changer? Yeah. So let me, let me kind of answer that both in the short term and, and the longer term. Um, so in the short term, um, our team is amazing. Um, we've, we've got just, just an amazing group and everybody sees kind of the longer term vision is excited. I think everybody on our team feels that um, what we're doing at Devio is is a once in a lifetime type of opportunity. So it's it's a fun group to work with. Everybody's kind of hand in hand, marching ahead, you know, trying to create what we think is going to be the future of money, um, the future of, of computing. So it's an exciting concept. So starting kind of with that baseline, um, you know, that's a big part of what Devio is, is, is just a great team. Um, we, we just added uh, our, our president, uh, Ray Quintana, um, Ray is an amazing guy. I feel honored that he's, you know, decided to, to join us on, you know, on our team, very expensive, uh, very experienced venture capitalist, very experienced in, in corporate development. Um, he, he's led, um, you know, the, the strategy for, uh, you know, uh, Fortune 500 companies um, took his corporate development, expanded into venture capital, and has been one of two partners over the past eight years and one of the best performing early stage venture capital uh, companies in in the country. Um, Ray described Devio as the best opportunity he's seen in his career, um, and and put his money where his mouth uh, put his uh, you know money where his mouth is, and um, joined us full time um, just just a few weeks ago. Um, so again, kind of adding to the the team, it's been great getting him him uh, you know ramping up and, and working full-time at, at Devio. Um, we're getting close to um, launching our test net. 
Um, I expect we'll have that out in September. Um, we've already pushed it back a, a little bit, you know, a few weeks, not not too long, because we've been integrating with some other technical teams that want to use our platform to grow their businesses on. Um, and so that's been a great exercise because it, you know, when you have external groups coming in and really kind of um, working through your interface, looking at your code, cleaning it up, asking questions, you know, it makes for a, a more robust release anyways and so that that's going to lead into a, a stronger test net and then once our test net comes out i think i think it, the, the overall feel in the company is that we're getting ready to tip i think we've been kind of flying under the radar for for a lot of people but um you know it's it's been more and more feeling like we're we're approaching that that tipping point and i think the test net is going to be a big part of that i think the um, the the initial application that's running on on top of a sandbox implementation of our protocol to let people see how how it's going to work um, is going to be really compelling. And then um, if you start looking a little bit longer, a little bit further out, um, you know, one of the, 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 the biggest things that I think Devio can really excel at is in enterprise use. And so, so again, kind of given my background, some of the other management's background, especially Ray's background and, and his network, um, you know, I, I think we can become the enterprise blockchain. Um, the way that we handle our consensus, the way we handle our governance, they're going to be comfortable with the fact that we have scalability. They can rely on actually putting a real business case on, on top of a foundation that they know they can they can um, be assured is going to scale with their needs if they really start, you know, uh, pushing it and, and using it. Um, the fraud, theft, loss, and privacy solutions, I think, are great for enterprise. But the most important thing is cost. Um, when you're looking at enterprise use, uh, cost is, is the single biggest driver. So, so I think we can become, again, the enterprise company. And so, so I, I, I'm excited about what our, our blockchain and, and our blockchain as a service business um, will we'll do for, um, for for enterprise use. And that's where I think the, the majority of growth for blockchain in general is going to be over the next few years. Enterprise use is a biggie. Um, it's going just as slow as everything else does in in this ecosystem, but uh, it is it is something that is desperately needed. So yeah, well, I would say because there's no solution that really solves what enterprise needs, you know. And so hopefully we'll we'll be the ones that kind of uh, <laughs> open the dam and and, and re release the floods into you know much broader <laughs> use. Good deal. So one last question we like to ask on uh, this show. And that is, is there anything you'd wished I'd asked you that I didn't? Uh, hmm. No, I think I think we covered most everything that uh, that we need to hit. Yeah. So uh, so it was a great, great set of questions and was really glad to, to be able to be on the show. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. I think that means I'm turning into a better interviewer. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to the audience, if you're listening, uh, dev.io, if you want to get straight to the uh, what will be the red, the green, and the blue white paper and a white paper summary, uh, you can go to dev.io slash pages slash dev, D-E-V-V uh, hyphen white paper, and it takes you straight to it, or just click where it says white paper at the top of the site because that's probably easier. And uh, you can find just a slew of information uh, across the board uh, about Devio. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for stopping by. Yeah, thank you, Demetrius. I appreciate it.